The Democrats have had it. They've had it, okay? The midterms are tomorrow, and you were supposed to vote for the Democrats. But all the polls are showing that you're going to vote for the Republicans, even after Joe Biden called the Republicans fascists, even after Biden said that Republicans are a threat to our sacred democracy. You just wouldn't listen. You just, you wouldn't listen. You still said that you were going to vote for the Republicans. So now, no more Mr. Nice liberal establishment. According to White House Chief of Staff Ron Klain, you are getting one final warning. The president decided a few days ago that it was important to uh, uh, issue one final warning on this issue to make very clear, to leave no doubt, uh, that we have people out there still peddling the big lie. People uh, uh, now raising the issue of election denial in this election. One final warning. One final warning. You better you listen here, you people. I'll say it one last time. It's like a father driving in a in a station wagon with his kids in the back. You've got one last warning. Don't you dare think about voting for Republicans. Who does this guy think he is? One final warning, and then what? If we don't do what they say, are the libs going to sick federal agents on us? Are they going to censor us? Are they going to threaten our businesses and our families and our constitutional rights? They're already doing all of those things. And now they're just being more upfront about it. All that piffle about the rule of law and our sacred democracy, that whole charade is giving way to more naked threats and power plays because the people don't like the powers that be. So if our liberal ruling class wants to keep its grip on power, it's going to have to do so against the clearly stated wishes of the people. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to the show. My favorite comment Friday is from Finbenach. Am I pronouncing that correctly? Probably not. Who says, I don't know why they wouldn't cheat this time since last time they did and everyone saw it and they still completely got away with it. In what world would they not do it again? The world in which they would not do it again is if they can't, if they don't have the political power or the opportunity to do it. It is safe in politics to count on if a political campaign and especially a left-wing political campaign. They do do this more than the Republicans do. Sometimes the the Republicans do it too sometimes, but the Democrats are just much better at doing it. But if they have the opportunity to cheat, they're probably going to do it, which is why the way that we uphold the integrity of our electoral system is not by hoping, not only by hoping, it's not by, you know, crossing our fingers and saying, oh, I hope it's okay this time. It's by putting procedures in place that make it much harder to cheat. And what they did in 2020 was using the excuse of COVID. They just got rid of all of those procedures. Uh, since 2020, some of them have gone back into place. The Republicans where they have control have tightened up on the election rules a little bit. But in some places, they haven't done it very much. I'm kind of worried about Pennsylvania. Democrats run Pennsylvania. The state Supreme Court tightened things up a little tiny bit, but I could see, still see a world where if, if Fetterman is within striking distance of Oz, all of a sudden ballots show up in the middle of the night in Philadelphia. So we'll see what happens. The only way, though, that we can reliably count on the Democrats not cheating and rigging the elections is if they don't have the political power to do it. Okay, we've got to protect ourselves. You got to protect your home. That's why you got to check out Ring. It is a wonderful time of year. One of my absolute favorite times of year, the fall, when there are so many wonderful things to enjoy and not just pumpkin spice lattes. The kids are back in school. The chaos of summer travel has come to an end. 
and you can get back into the swing of things. But for many of us, autumn can also be a busy time of year with work, school, sports, clubs, etc. You may find yourself away from home more often than not. That is why I have teamed up with Ring. With Ring security products, you can rest easy knowing that your home and your family are safe when you're not there. The Ring doorbell notifies you when guests or packages arrive. Ring's indoor cameras let you keep an eye on kids and pets while you're away. Ring alarm will alert you of any motion detection while the house is empty. Plus, if you add smart lighting around your home, you can turn the lights on or off while you're away, which is very, very handy. Go to ring.com slash collections slash offers. Two slashes right now to find out how you can live a little less stressed this season with a Ring product that is right for you. That is ring.com slash collections slash offers. The Democrats themselves are predicting a bad night on Tuesday, tomorrow night. They're predicting a bad night, which is why the excuses are starting already, including excuses from the uh, pretender governor of Georgia, the president of the Galactic Federation of the Universe. I speak, of course, of Stacey Abrams, who is way down in the polls. She's getting absolutely destroyed by Brian Kemp. And so she was asked on MSNBC, do you think you can still win? And she said, well, yeah, of course. If the Republicans don't suppress the vote. We want to remind folks that election day is still on Tuesday. We've seen outsized turnout in the state of Georgia among black voters. But we need to remember early voting was the beginning, not the not the end. But we know that people turned out early because they understand that Brian Kemp and Brad Raffsenberger put barriers in place, that they're going to be denied access to food and water in lines that in years past have stretched up to four, eight hours. They know that there have been more difficulties put in place for absentee ballots, that white supremacist groups and hard right-wing groups have been challenging people's right to vote. Up to 75,000 people have had their right to vote challenged because of the law passed by Brian Kemp. And he did so because he was frustrated by the results. He gets lionized for not committing treason, but we keep <laughs> ignoring the fact that, yes, you can deny the outcome of an election, which is what so many have done. That, but it is even more efficient to block access to that election. And that's been Brian Kim's modus operandi. So obviously it's all nonsense, but even just take the individual claims that she's making. She's saying, Brian Kemp is stealing the election by not providing people food and water while they wait to vote. Do you think, do you think the, the ballot box is a Michelin rated restaurant? Since when do we get food and water at the, at the polls? I don't remember that. I've voted in every election I could vote in, in my life. I've never gotten uh, yes, I'll have the steak tartare, please. I'll start with the steak tartare. Then I would like to move on to a nice, I don't know, maybe an ahi tuna. Could I get, thank you so much. Yes. Yeah, so just bring it back to me in line while I, maybe a glass of uh, Dom Perignon would be good too. No, of course, what are you talking about? They're rigging the vote because they're not serving you a meal. What on earth are you talking about, lady? Well, they're rigging the vote because uh, thousands and thousands, tens of thousands of Georgians have not been able to vote yet. Hey lady, it's not election day. What do you mean? What do you mean they haven't been allowed to vote yet? I know that Democrats have rigged the election system to extend election day to election months because one, it allows them to push off debates so they don't have to stand by their record. If people are voting before debates take place, then the debates don't really matter. But two, when you expand the window for voting, you open up the opportunity for fraud because there are going to be fewer poll watchers. There's going to be a lot less oversight. There's going to be a lot more opportunity for shenanigans. So she's saying long before election day, 
Well, some people haven't had their right to, first of all, people should not be voting before election day, period. Rare circumstances, maybe you can have an absentee ballot if you're overseas serving in the military or something like that. If you're truly disabled, you can't get out of your house. Okay, fine. But no, we shouldn't have 75,000 people voting before election day to begin with. Now, what, what we're going to hear from the left is, well, the, the Republicans deny elections sometimes too. First of all, we do it much less than the Democrats do. But second of all, we didn't just make it a federal issue for three years to talk about the, how, how if you question the results of any election, you're a threat to our sacred democracy and you're a fascist and a terrorist. That's what the Democrats have done. And yet the Democrats now are preemptively denying the election. So it's not the same when the Republicans do it and when the Democrats do it. The other reason that it's not the same when Republicans raise questions about elections compared to Democrats is that the Democrats have pretty much all of the power in the country. Even if the Republicans win a House of Congress, even if the Republicans have the Supreme Court or whatever, the Democrats, the liberals have all of the power in the country. And the liberals are the ones who have changed all the election laws in recent years. So no, it's not the same. The, the, when, when Republicans point out that there's some rigging going on because ballots are showing up in the middle of the night in Philadelphia and they stopped counting the vote and there was a water main break in Georgia and that's why they had to stop counting the vote when things were looking bad for Joe Biden. Okay, when we point that out, that's not the same as saying, well, no, the, the Republicans are rigging all the, of the elections. How? I don't know because they're not serving as foie gras while we wait to vote. Give me a break. Okay, it's not the same thing. And so therefore, when the Democrats start talking about rigging, you know that it's much more likely to be BS because the Republicans just don't have nearly as much power in the country. The other way they're denying it too, this is, this is my favorite one. This is my favorite New York Times piece that I've seen in years, I think. So this was published November 6th, just yesterday, two days before the election. Russia. Russia reactivates its trolls and bots ahead of Tuesday's midterms. Researchers have identified a series of Russian information operations to influence American elections and perhaps even erode support for Ukraine. They love Ukraine. We'll get to Ukraine later. There the Russians are behind it. There it is. There it is. When the New York Times was four years old and the New York Times' mommy came downstairs and caught the New York Times with its hand in the cookie jar, do you know what the New York Times said? I guarantee you what the New York Times said was, no, mom, Russia took the cookies out of the, it was Russia. And then when the New York Times was about 11 years old, sixth grade, and uh, hadn't done its homework, you know, the teacher said, New York Times, why didn't you do your homework? And you know what the New York Times said? They said, no, no, Mrs. McGillicuddy, Russia, Russia ate my homework. It was Russia. And now for every election into the future. Hey, Democrats. Hey, New York Times. Why, why do you guys keep losing? Why do the people keep rejecting you at the polls? No, it was, it was, the, it was the Russia. <laughs> okay, okay, it's the Russia. You got it. That's right. When, when <laughs> the moment you hear Russia from the, the libs, from anyone in the liberal establishment, you know, things are not looking good for them from the perspective of democracy, from the perspective of the will of the people. So Republicans are looking great right now, okay? I'm concerned about Pennsylvania. I, I think Herschel's looking good in Georgia. His, the polls just keep moving more and more in his direction. So I'm somewhat concerned about Blake Masters in Arizona. 
Uh, Blake is still a little bit behind, though Carrie Lake is doing so well. The governor candidate that I think Blake Masters, the Senate candidate, might be able to be pulled across the finish line. He's a great candidate. I really like him. I'm feeling good about J.D. Vance. I'm feeling good. I'm just feeling good about the elections generally. So, of course, when Republicans are looking really, really good, we have to start infighting, don't we? When Republicans are looking the strongest that we have looked maybe in my lifetime, certainly since 2010, certainly since 1994, then, of course, the Republicans need to start sniping at each other. In the meantime, you are already seeing something that's going to start on Wednesday. If you can think past tomorrow's election, looking to Wednesday, Wednesday marks not the beginning of the new Republican Congress or whatever. Wednesday marks the beginning of the 2024 Republican presidential primary. Donald Trump has already lobbed a shot across the bow at Ron DeSantis, who is his main rival right now for the Republican nomination. Donald Trump has given Ron DeSantis one of his famed opponent nicknames. Before I tell you that nickname, though, I got to tell you how to look really, really good. That's an important part of politics is looking good. When you want to look good, you got to check out Mizzen and Maine. Right now, go to MizzenandMain.com, use promo code Knowles. Mizzen and Main are the inventors of the performance fabric dress shirt. Is there anything worse? Is there anything worse than being in some uncomfortable Oxford shirt? Let's say you're like me, you maybe have Sicilian extraction, you're a little, you're known to perspire, okay? Well, Mizzen and Main figured it out. Gives you the performance of an athletic shirt with a really neat, clean, smart, excellent style kind of look. They're just, they're just phenomenal. They made the most lightweight, breathable, moisture-wicking dress shirts that you can buy. Their high-performance dress shirts are warm in winter and cool in summer. Think of their clothing as a secret weapon for any occasion. I am confident if you give Mizzen and Maine a try, you will never go back to conventional men's clothing again. Mizzen and Maine's dress shirts are the best. They're just absolute top of their class. Plus, they've got so many other wonderful products. I love the polos in particular. I love the utility. I love the style. If you want the best dress shirts money can buy, check out Mizzen and Main right now. That is M-I-Z-Z-E-N-A-N-D-M-A-I-N.com. Use promo code Knowles. You'll receive $35 off any regular priced order of $125 or more. That's $35 off when you go to M-I-Z-Z-E-N-A-N-D-M-A-I-N.com. Use promo code Knowles. Just days before very important midterm elections, Donald Trump is already starting the 2024 process. We finally have a nickname for Ron DeSantis. Trump at 71, Ron DeSanctimonious at 10%, Mike Pence at 7. Oh, Mike's doing better than I thought. Here we go. President Trump was at a rally and he decides to take a shot at Ron DeSantis. It's really, really interesting because, and no, I haven't seen anyone else talk about this. This is the first time that I've seen Donald Trump pick a fight. Donald Trump fights constantly. Going back to the Rosie O'Donnell feud, Donald Trump just will tear people apart. It's one of the reasons why I think a lot of Republicans, including Ron DeSantis, might not run in 2024, is they don't want to just go into that meat grinder of a Trump uh, campaign operation. But Trump usually responds. Rosie O'Donnell started the fight with Donald Trump. The 2016 candidates, he would wait for them to attack him, and then he would just go nuclear. As far as I can tell, Ron DeSantis has not attacked Trump yet. Ron DeSantis is meeting with donors. Ron DeSantis is clearly getting ready to run for president in 2024. But I, I haven't seen him publicly attack Trump. So the fact that Donald Trump is launching this 
lighthearted but still pointed attack on Ron DeSantis this early shows clearly Trump is a little bit concerned about Ron DeSantis. The other thing that's interesting is you, you heard the crowd, they didn't erupt in applause. It wasn't like a little Marco, low energy Jeb, Lion Ted. It wasn't there. You'd see the audience would go crazy with that. You didn't see that with Ron DeSanctimonious for two reasons. One, it's not Trump's best work. There is definitely a better nickname that he can give to Ron DeSantis than Ron DeSanctimonious. DeSanctimonious is just too fancy a word, I think. And the whole nickname is seven syllables. I feel that's a little bit too long. You know, he, he, Trump could have called Elizabeth Warren Faux-Cahantas. That was, that was the nickname that we were all joking about because Faux, because she's fake, and then Cahantas, because she pretends to be an Indian. But Trump didn't do that because Trump rightly understood that Faux-Cahantas is a little too fancy. It requires a little too much thought. Pocahontas, everyone gets. That's funny. Pocahontas, everyone knows the Disney cartoon. Everyone learned about it in school. Desanctimonious. It's, I, to me, it's a little too clever by half. Now, Trump has played with nicknames before and gone with different ones. He started out with low, no stamina Hillary. Do you remember that? And then finally settled on crooked Hillary. It was way, way better. So he's, he's got to work on it, I think, with uh, DeSantis. I would be surprised if Desanctimonious lasts. Now, all of that said, Everyone seems to have picked a, a horse in this fight already. And everyone seems to have forgotten that there are other candidates who could pop up. It's very, very early in 2024 for, for, for this cycle. We're talking two years out now. But everyone seems to be on a team. I think I might be the only conservative pundit in America who isn't just frothing at the mouth, ready to throw Trump overboard in, in support of Ron DeSantis or, or vice versa. I think I'm the only one who's saying, hey, guys, let's cool it. DeSantis has done a great job. He's the best governor in the country right now, maybe the best governor in my lifetime. He's great. Also, Trump is the greatest president in my lifetime, and Trump got Roe v. Wade overruled. And yes, he had some help from Mitch McConnell doing it, and obviously the judges, but you know, the buck stops with the president. He did great work, and I, 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 I love Trump, okay? And also, there are other candidates, and who knows what's going to happen in 2024. But DeSantis has a problem here. And I think that, I think that gives me a little credibility to, to analyze the situation that is already beginning. Again, I'm not, I'm not pitting candidates against each other. I'm not the one like the Democrats who want, who was calling for this fight between Trump and DeSantis. Trump launched the fight. It has already happened. I am simply observing that fact. And I'm noticing that there's a, there's a trick right now for DeSantis. It could be a great advantage for him, but it is a challenge nevertheless, which is that Ron DeSantis his strength is that he is considered Trump 2.0, Trump without the baggage, all the good fight of Trump, but with more political discipline and with a probably a, a more fully fleshed out, at least from an intellectual or philosophical level, political point of view. And so he's just, he's just Trump without the Twitter fights. He's just whatever, right? That's, that's the argument. He's the bigger, better, faster version of Trump. Younger, right? Okay. Less disapproval points. Okay. But Trump is running, or he at least is positioning himself to run. So DeSantis's lane is as the anti-Trump candidate. So a lot of DeSantis's support is coming from people who always hated Trump, who hated Trump in 2016, who maybe came around to him a little bit, who maybe voted for him in 2020, but they hate Trump. And so they're looking for any excuse to ditch Trump. And so DeSantis is the vessel for their support. And the fact that those people support DeSantis, through no fault of DeSantis's own, that's just his role in the race. Because of that, 
the fact that people who are a little bit squishier, a little bit more centrist are supporting DeSantis makes some people who are really, really gung-ho about Trump skeptical of DeSantis himself because he's got that kind of support around him. So this is a really fine issue that DeSantis is going to have to figure out. If he can pull it off, if he can somehow manage to be Trump 2.0, the bigger, faster, funnier Donald Trump, which again, very, very, very difficult to do, if not impossible. But if he can do that while still keeping the anti-Trump support, then yeah, he's the greatest candidate ever. He's united the party. It's guaranteed. But if you think that that's just going to happen, if you think that Donald Trump is just going to let that happen, I've got a bridge in Brooklyn to sell you. Okay, that I, I just don't see it. And so then you then in... In the world where Trump is just going completely hard, he's actually running, he's on the tear, he's ripping candidates apart, then you're seeing Ron DeSantis, who is right now the main rival, being pulled in two opposite directions. And he's going to figure out, have to figure out how to play that game. Again, these are conversations that can happen on Wednesday, but we have to acknowledge Trump has already launched the fight and people are pulling their hair out because they say, why are you launching this fight right now? We're supposed to have Republican unity. I don't think it's going to affect the midterms. I think Ron DeSantis is going to walk away with his race. That's not a problem. And then uh, in terms of all the other races in the country, Trump and DeSantis are pretty much on the same team. So I don't think it affects the midterms really at all. I think Republicans are fired up. Republicans obviously need to go out and actually vote. It's not enough to just feel excited it's not enough to just feel good and support a candidate in your head. You actually have to go vote. If you don't, then the libs could, could take it. Now, another issue for DeSantis, because in two days, we're going to be talking about 2024. <laughs> That's just the way in, well, they're probably still going to be counting the votes in Philadelphia, but the rest of us are going to be moving on to the 2024 race. Certainly the, the political class, they're going to start running. One issue for DeSantis is that He's very strong on policy. He's very strong in person. His speeches are very strong. He's, he's, he checks pretty much all of the boxes. His ads are not. Oddly enough, his, his media is a little weak, I think, compared to his record. He just released an ad. Uh, this is kind of his last salvo in before the midterm elections. And it was this ad that was released from his wife's Twitter account about how DeSantis is a fighter. And on the eighth day, God looked down on his planned paradise and said, I need a protector. So God made a fighter. God said, I need somebody willing to get up before dawn, kiss his family goodbye, travel thousands of miles for no other reason than to serve the people, to save their jobs, their livelihoods, their liberty, their happiness. So God made a fighter. God said, I need someone to be strong, advocate truth in the midst of hysteria, someone who challenges conventional wisdom and isn't afraid to defend what he knows anymore. to be you, right can, and we can just. Stop it. That's fine. That's fine. So get it. Get it. It's like the ad, God made a farmer, but it's God made a fighter with DeSantis. Oh, goodness gracious. That is weak sauce, guys. The production value is, is not great. And it's just a political nerd ad. It's an ad for political nerds who remember a different ad. It's a play. It's, it's just not. And it, it doesn't really highlight DeSantis' accomplishments. It just says he's a fighter, just like every other politician ever said. It reminds me, there was another terrible ad that DeSantis put out about how he's, he's basically Tom Cruise in Top Gun. 
Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. This is your governor speaking. Today's training evolution, dogfighting, taking on the corporate media. The rules of engagement are as follows. Number one, don't fire unless fired upon, but when they fire, you fire back with overwhelming force. Does it say that in the bill? I'm asking, I'm asking you to tell me what's in the bill. Number two, never ever back down from a fight. If I could complete the question though. So you're gonna give a speech or ask a question? Number three, don't accept their narrative. It's wrong, it's a fake narrative. I just disabused you of the narrative and you don't care about the facts. It's why people don't trust people like you because you peddle false narratives. All right, ladies and gentlemen. Let's jump up on you. I don't know who made this ad. I feel bad. You know, I, I don't want to attack these poor GOP consultants, but this is a bad ad. This is t- DeSantis. I love DeSantis. I love the guy. He's been a great governor of Florida, and he is the only politician I know of whose ads make him look way lamer than he actually is. But this is weak sauce top gov. You get out there in the Mike Dukakis helmet. Come on, man. And so I I mention all of this now because the 2024 race has started. Donald Trump is attacking Ron DeSantis. If DeSantis is running for president, as he seems likely to do, then if he wants to pose a credible threat to Donald Trump, he needs to, he needs to up the dazzle a little bit. Okay. He's got to up the show business a little bit. He will be going up against one of the greatest showmen in American history. One of the funniest, most absolutely captivating celebrities, (laughs) certainly in modern American history. And he, he, he's got a lot of openings where I think he could attack Trump and, and pry, pry some voters away from Trump. But I don't, I don't, that this isn't going to do it. Okay. And people really have to look ahead. There will be no time to waste as the Republicans, if the Republicans have a good night tomorrow night. And I, I'm pretty confident that we will. And we win the state houses and we win the house and maybe we win the Senate, maybe we win the Senate by a fair margin and maybe things are ready to go. Then we're, we've got to hit the ground running. Okay. And we've got to get our priorities in order. and We've got to sort things out. We don't want a bloody primary to go on way into 2024. We got to figure things out, get the party in line. Okay. And then move, 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 baby. This will be a window of opportunity for Republicans to get some serious wins, but not if we dilly dally and keep up the circular firing squad. Even with the infighting Democrat, the, uh, among the Republicans, the Democrats are just looking absolutely terrible right now. One of their last shots in the midterm election was, was to try to exploit the incident at the Pelosi home as evidence that the Republicans are terrorists and Nazis and fascists and that it's a threat to democracy. And so you remember there was this incident that took place at the Pelosi home. Nancy Pelosi wasn't there. Her husband was there. There was a strange man who seemed to be a kind of nudist Berkeley hemp jewelry maker who, with BLM signs and pride flags in his window, who nevertheless was called a right-wing person. And he was yelling, where's Nancy? And there was a hammer. And Joe Biden, the president of the United States, gave a whole speech about this, insinuating that this attack is just evidence that the Republicans are a threat to democracy. This was their, their real final pitch in the election. But the details never quite added up. You're telling me there was no security at the Pelosi house? This guy just got in? 
seems unlikely, possible, but unlikely. And then you tell it, they don't have security cameras, so we can't see this. And then the, the dispatch, when the 911 call was made, the dispatch said that Paul Pelosi said that he knew the guy and his name was David and he was a friend of his, but he didn't know the guy, but he knew stuff about him. And the whole thing is just kind of weird, wasn't it? Well, it just got weirder because there's an NBC News report that was up, a long TV report about the new details that have emerged in the investigation. Take a listen. Sources familiar with what unfolded in the Pelosi residence now revealing when officers responded to the high priority call, they were seemingly unaware they'd been called to the home of the Speaker of the House. After a knock and announce, the front door was opened by Mr. Pelosi. The 82-year-old did not immediately declare an emergency or tried to leave his home, but instead began walking several feet back into the foyer toward the assailant and away from police. It's unclear if the 82-year-old was already injured or what his mental state was, say sources. According to court documents, when the officer asked what was going on, defendant smiled and said everything's good. But instantaneously, a struggle ensued as police clearly saw David DePap strike Paul Pelosi in the head with a hammer. After tackling the suspect, officers rushed to Mr. Pelosi, who was lying in a pool of blood. What? So the police get the call and they say, they don't know it's the Pelosi's, but they get the call. They know it's an important person. And then there was this question, who opened the door? The police didn't bust in. So someone opened the door. Who was the person who opened the door? Paul Pelosi himself opened the door, but he didn't run out saying, oh my gosh, there's this guy. He's attacking me. Help me, officer. Help me. He didn't, he didn't even say, this is an emergency. Come on. He opens the door greets the police officers and then walks back to this Berkeley nudist guy, the attacker. And then they're all kind of chatting. And then the attacker attacks him in front of the police. So he hadn't, the attacker hadn't attacked Paul Pelosi before the police got there. That's kind of weird. And the whole the whole thing is just raises way more questions than it provides answers. And NBC News went on even further about some of these questions. Investigators have previously said Pelosi did not know DePap when the 42-year-old broke into his home. Why Pelosi didn't try to flee or tell responding officers he was in distress is unclear. So even NBC News is there. This was not just some one-off reporter giving a little bit of commentary on the air. This was a full news report where they even raise the questions explicitly that are implied by the report. And then the report's gone. It's gone. You can't, you can't find that video on NBC right now. They took it down. They, well, luckily, we were able to get a clip of it. So it'll be on this show until they try to take that down. It's weird. That's weird, isn't it? Of course, they deleted the report. The police have said they won't release the body camera footage. The Pelosi's are not going to release the home security footage. So we're left with, okay, I'm glad Paul Pelosi's okay. All right. At, at the very least, whatever occurred in the Pelosi home in the middle of the night, it is not going to affect the midterm elections. It just hasn't had the effect that clearly Joe Biden wanted it to have when he gave a whole speech about it. Pretty dodgy stuff. Pretty and a lot of dodgy journalism about it. There was a good NBC News report, but then it's dodgy that they took it down. Speaking of dodgy journalism... 
Would you believe that your beloved host, me, me, whom everybody loves so, was just recently attacked by the Southern Poverty Law Center. The SPLC is a leftist attack group. Their whole job is to get us fired. And it, it's like Media Matters, but they've been around a little bit longer, and they're, they're a little bit more aggressive, actually, even than Media Matters. And they have something called Hate Watch. And Hate Watch just did a piece that was on me. It was on other conservatives, too. I wasn't even the main object of their ire, but they did go after me pretty hard in here. And I knew they were going to do that because I got an email from this guy who wrote it, Michael Edison Hayden, months ago. Said, Michael, we're doing a piece. It's not really about you, but I want to clarify comments that you've made on the air. And, uh, you know, what do you think about trans women? You you don't think trans women should have the rights to, I don't know, do whatever, swim on the girls' team or go into the bathroom or whatever. So I get this email. I know it's a hit piece. I know this guy's a radical leftist, and I know it's absurd. And I know that they have something called Hate Watch, and they're going to portray me as the worst person in the world. But I, I say, I'm going to respond to this guy. And I, I responded with a, I, I felt a thoughtful, polite uh, email immediately, within 24 hours. And I said, uh, dear Michael Edison Hayden, um, you, you keep using this term trans women. I'm, I'm afraid I'm not familiar with that ontological category. If by trans women you mean confused men who believe that they're women, and you're asking me if I think that they ought to uh, have their genitals lopped off. I think that sort of thing ought to be discouraged. I think it's a violation of the Hippocratic Oath. Uh, the SPLC wanted me to clarify, do I think that genital you know, mutilation of these confused men who think that they're women, it, it, should that be only banned in the culture or should that be banned by the power of the law and the power of the state? And I said even there, I said, you know, I'm even confused by that distinction because in America we have self-government. So the idea at least in, in theory, is that we make our own laws and we set the standards that we want to live under within certain limits uh, articulated in the Constitution. And so uh, there's not a whole bit of a difference, really, between what, what the people want to do in their own society and the state, because America's supposed to have self-government. And then I even had a little French at the end, and I said to, to borrow a line and adapt it from Louis Fourteenth in America, l'état c'est nous, you know. We are, the, we are the state in America. So those are, I said, if you have any questions, please you know, write to me. All, all kind regards, all the best, Michael. So then he runs this piece. He says, uh, Knowles expressed hateful views of the LGBTQ plus community. Knowles is a pundit for the Daily Wire, and he used his appearance on a Newsweek show to say that he's within his rights to tell adult transgender women that they're not women. And then he quotes me from the show, and initially they said Knowles did not respond. And I said, this is just a lie. This is just a total lie. So I pointed it out on Twitter. Then I couldn't find the guy on Twitter. The guy had blocked me. This guy who reached out to me, for, he blocked me. And, uh, but then finally, enough people tweeted at him that he said, no, no, I, I, I don't have the email. I don't have it. I searched my inbox. I don't have it. And he kept using that phrase, I don't have the email. I don't have an email from Michael Knowles. And I noticed that's kind of specific diction. He didn't say, I've never received an email from Michael Knowles. He said, I don't have it now. So what happened? It seems like he, it seemed, I, I don't want to be uncharitable or unfair, but if I were a gambling man, I bet he did receive the email and he deleted it. So then he can say, truthfully, I don't have an email. But, but regardless, I have the screenshots. I sent him my commentary. He still clearly didn't want to update the article. He had said, listen, I always quote in, in its entirety, the statements given to me by the people that I interview. And so I said, okay, well, you have it now. And he kept going on. He said, I don't have the email. I said, well, now you have it. Here it is. I've just sent it to you. You have the email. And he wouldn't quote it. He quoted five words 
of a, of a five words of a random sort of analogy in my email, but he wouldn't quote pretty much anything that I said in my email. He linked to it, so, but he wouldn't quote. And I thought, why, why, why? And I realized, I realized why this guy appears to have lied about receiving my answer in the first place and why he refuses to quote my actual answer, not just in full, but really any substantial part of it. The reason why is that the libs, the libs rely on Republicans and conservatives being evil, awful, terrible people. We just have to be the, the angriest, meanest, cruelest, most awful people in the world. And the thing is, we're not. I'm not saying there aren't some bad guys out there, but conservatives are not. Actually, we're generally more content than the libs are. We, that's why we're conservatives. We want to conserve things. You know, we're generally sort of more balanced. We tend not to, you know, mutilate our bodies too much and just be angry and shrieking at the moon all the time. So the libs have to censor us. They can't present the real conservatives. They have to censor us. They can't allow us to state our points of view. They, the only reason that we could defend it defend marriage. The only reason we could defend the difference between men and women is just because we're hateful, awful bigots. But the, they can't let us explain why we actually think these things, because that will be very attractive to voters. And what you've seen in recent years, increasingly in recent years, is that the conservatives get past gatekeepers, and we find a way around, and we present what we actually believe and who we actually are to the voters, and the voters like us. And that's why you're seeing a massive movement across pretty much every demographic to the conservatives. And you're going to see that reflected. You've seen that reflected in the polls already. You'll, you'll probably see that reflected at the ballot box on election night. And so if the liberal establishment wants to hold on to its grip on power, it's going to have to become more nakedly authoritarian. It's, going to, it's not going to be able to keep up the silly claim that actually the libs who want to kill all the babies and chop off the genitals of the five-year-olds and erase our borders and wage these wars of empire in the middle of nowhere. They're not going to be able to maintain the lie and the charade that they're doing this because they're the voice of the people, okay? That is falling apart. But the libs don't want to give up their grip on power. And so they're just going to have to become much more authoritarian, even than they already are. You know, aside from the beaver blood moon solar eclipse that's happening tomorrow, uh, tomorrow is also special, of course, because we're having our special event called Daily Wire Election Night 2022. Coverage starts at 3 p.m. Central and runs until 11 p.m. At 6 p.m., I will get together with Ben Shapiro, Matt Walsh, Andrew Claven, and the God King with a lowercase g, Jeremy Boring, and Candace Owens to celebrate the moments as they happen. We will be giving you live updates from the Morning Wire team, plus any pertinent social media meltdowns from the likes of AOC and all of her friends. If that was not enough to get the popcorn popping, we're also going to be joined by some very special guests. Get the election news that you need to know in real time with expert commentary and a healthy dose of humor. Come celebrate the incoming red wave with us. If you're not a member, go to dailywire.com slash Knowles and join us today. Conservatives can be clear and firm without looking angry and crazed. And I think very rarely do people on the right look angry and crazed. That's how the libs portray us, but that's not usually how we look. Okay, usually conservatives are pretty fair-minded. Obviously, because we accept natural law. We accept objective reality. We accept the difference between men and women. We accept that babies are babies. We accept that nations have borders. We accept all of these things that are just normal, okay? It's not some far-right ideology. Oh, there's another far-right ideology. No, it's just called being normal. 
Okay. And the libs are not normal. They're transgressive. They're subversive. They hate America. They're angry all the time. They're howling at the moon. So obviously, if you, if you put us on camera in a fair way, we're not going to seem so terribly hateful. You just saw this with an interview uh, between John Carl on ABC News and the Republican governor of Virginia, Glenn Youngkin. And John Carl, he did his best to portray the Republicans as evil and terrible and scary. And he says, you want to do all terrible, awful things like investigate the Democrats. Here's Youngkin's answer. You know, I'm hearing a lot, though, uh, of talk about investigations, investigations of Hunter Biden, FBI, all things Anthony Fauci. Um, Republicans talking about going, you know, all in if they take control, particularly the House. Is that really what what you're campaigning on, to, to have massive investigations and all? Is that, is that really even, <laughs> Youngkin's answer was great. And he said, well, you know, we're going to do a lot of things. <laughs> we're going to, uh, you know, institute our kind of governing agenda as best we can with a Democrat president. But yes, yes, we are going to investigate crime and corruption. Is that, what, are you, you're going to run on, <laughs> on, what, on investigating the Democrats? Are you, yeah. You you really think people want you to investigate the Democrats who shut down the economy for the past three years? Some Republicans were part of that too, but Democrats mostly let it and shut down all the schools and forced you to take a dangerous experimental drug or lose your job. And you, wait, hold on, you and lied about everything and called half of the country fascists and terrorists? You think that's what the people want? Yeah, I do think that's what the people want. I think the people want justice. And I think the people have been done over real, real rough over the past few years. And I think that the people had to have their grandparents and parents die alone in hospitals because of stupid COVID rules. And I think the people had their kids' education severely hampered because of the stupid COVID rules. And I think that the the people have lost their jobs and their businesses and they couldn't go to church for a long time. And a lot of it was was based on serious corruption from people like Anthony Fauci, people like the Biden family. I think that, I, I think people are furious. And I think that's why the polls are so overwhelmingly for Republicans. And if Republicans don't investigate the Democrats, who have really been audacious in recent years and who've weaponized federal law enforcement to spy on the opposition party's campaigns and to undermine the Republican, duly elected Republican administration and to hire up 87,000 IRS agents to go harass ordinary Americans, probably especially the ones who have the audacity to vote Republican and to call parents who don't want their kids getting transed in kindergarten terrorists and all the rest of it. I think people hate that and they realize that if we don't investigate that and we don't have consequences for that, then it's just going to keep on happening. If Republicans don't launch those investigations, I I think it'd be very hard for them to win the election next time. Yeah, it is urgent that we do that. What are the Democrats campaigning on? John Carl seems to think that Republicans are campaigning on some silly issue like, you know, any justice for the criminals who destroyed our country for three years. What are the Democrats campaigning on? Here Here is one of the final campaign trail speeches from Joe Biden. So I tied an onion to my belt, which was the style at the time. Now, to take the ferry cost a nickel. And in those days, nickels had pictures of bumblebees on them. Give me five bees for a quarter, you'd say. Now, where were we? Oh, yeah. The important thing was 
that I had an onion on my belt, which was a style at the time. Sorry, uh, some of the clips got a little confused here. Uh, simple mistake to make for the producers. Here is, uh, here is the clip of Biden in one of his final campaign pitches. And I know uh, some of you are even uh, seeing whether or not you uh, qualify or whatever you have. Anyway, I won't go into it, but... Uh, Sorry, you guys, you're not supposed to play the Grandpa Simpson clip twice. Did you? Uh, hold on. I just Maybe I'm just a little confused. Maybe, can you show me the difference between those two clips? <laughs> I don't know that I can. Which one is the real Grandpa Simpson? <laughs> Who's really wearing the onion on his belt? Which was the style at the time? The, the, the speeches from Biden have become a real symbol for the Democrat Party's midterm campaign because it's, they're just completely aimless. They're aimless not only because Joe Biden doesn't know where he's going or where he is half the time. They're aimless in that they don't even know what they're campaigning on. Are they campaigning on defund the police or are they campaigning on let's get tough on crime? You tell me. I don't know. Are they campaigning on destroy the American energy industry or are they campaigning on drill baby drill? I can't tell. Can you tell me that? Are they campaigning on open up the borders and flood the country with illegal aliens? Or are they, are they campaigning on, no, 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 we're taking care of the border. We're tougher than anybody. Which one is it? I can't tell. And neither can the Democrats. So they're just completely caught between a rock and a hard place. And frankly, had Joe Biden been campaigning on the onion on his belt, it would have been more coherent and persuasive than most of what the Democrats have talked about this cycle. Do you want to talk about symbols of the Democrat Party? There was a clip absolutely devastating from John Fetterman out on the trail just a couple of days ago, campaigning as a strong wind blew the American flags away. There he is, he's talking, and then they just all, all the American flags tumble down right before this guy, and he doesn't even, he's not even aware of it. I guess he didn't hear it, or he wasn't paying attention, it was right behind him. It was just, it was a perfect symbol. Okay, and I'm a big believer in providence. I'm tr a very big believer in providence. I think, as my friend Father George Rutler points out, it's a wicked generation that looks for signs and wonders, but it's a stupid generation that ignores signs and wonders, and the world is just rife with symbols. And that's a pretty clear one. What exactly that symbol or omen portends, that remains to be seen. But it certainly is not a good look for Fetterman. That's very true. You just, we just have this sense. Okay, and I think it's people in the center and people even on the center left who are looking at the Democrats who say, you know, these people, they don't seem to like us. <laughs> they don't seem to like us. They don't seem to like the country. They don't seem to be very good at governing the country. The country does not seem to be doing well under their rule. And so then the one issue that they, they focused on in 2022, where they weren't either complete losers in their policy and or uh, uh, torn between their radical base and what the American people want, which are in, in contradiction with one another. So the one issue they've focused on that they thought was going to take them across the finish line was abortion. Roe v. Wade gets overturned by Dobbs. Okay, we're going to rally all those women. We're going to campaign to kill the babies. And this is about how well it's going. Beto O'Rourke just released this, this little Insta reel or TikTok or whatever the hell it was uh, in his final push on his doomed campaign. It's a woman dancing. There's a Texas woman who just wants rights and she's dancing slowly. And then the creepiest dude you've ever seen in your whole life, Beto O'Rourke wearing the one blue shirt that he owns, wearing skinny jeans like some hipster, sexually ambiguous 
sophomore in college creeping up on a girl at a party. He says, a pro-choice governor who's ready to fight for her. And he's just dancing slowly. It should have been released on, on Halloween. So, and I don't mean just to pick on Beto O'Rourke, though it is easy to do. Beto O'Rourke is every male feminist and every male feminist is super duper creepy. Super creepy, super weird. The abortion issue was always a loser for the Democrats. It's an even bigger loser when it's men campaigning on it. There's something really creepy about, hey, I'm going to fight really, really hard to make sure that if women get pregnant, we can kill the kid and I don't have to worry about it. Uh Dun, 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 dun. I'm Beto O'Rourke. Do, do, do. Hey, you want to watch me skateboard, lady? Like, no, get out of here. You know, spray bear mace in his face or something. Get out of here. I don't get away from me, man. Stop creeping up on me. It's very sad to think how far Beto O'Rourke has fallen. He was a an unremarkable member of Congress. Then he decides that he's going to run for Senate. So he runs for Senate in Texas and loses. And then he runs for president. Because that's what happens. When you lose a Senate race, then you can run for president. And he had all the backing. He had all the backing of the liberal establishment. They loved this guy. There was a Vanity Fair spread. This big Vanity Fair spread of Beto. And it was on the cover. He said, I was built for this. I was made to be in this fight. It's all about me. And I knew that was the kiss of death. Because I knew at that point, Beto is just a completely contrived thing. And this is why the libs are losing right now and why they can't make sense of why they're losing because they're believing their own press releases. Okay. And this is some of the best advice my mother ever gave me when I was a kid. I was a little kid and I did really well on the test. And I don't know, I was uh, top of my class or something. I got a swell head. And she said, you know, Michael, don't believe your own press releases. And the Democrats have believed their own press releases and they've really convinced themselves. I think a lot of them have convinced themselves they really are the voice of the people. The, Democrat, the Republicans really do pose an existential threat. The, Democrat, the Republicans really are the Nazis. The Democrats are the only force standing in the way of the Nazis. It's the people understand this. They see it and it's just not true. And people are laughing at them. And they're laughing. The people are laughing at the New York Times over Russia, Russia, Russia. And the people are laughing at the Southern Poverty Law Center over the, you know, pearl clutching at the observation that men are, are not women and women are not men. And we shouldn't chop each other's genitals off to think otherwise. And we, we shouldn't trans the kids. And people like borders and people like a good economy. And the Democrats, they've just, they're so locked in their own echo chamber. And they have that echo chamber because they have virtually all the power in the country. The people, I think, still have some say in it. And if the the people get a little, if the people assert their rights, and if the people assert their rights at the polls, and they express what they want for their country, you're going to have to see the Democrats make a choice here. The liberal establishment will have to either give up some power, give up some of what it wants to do, or clamp down twice as hard and become more overtly authoritarian. This is what you see when Ron Klain, the White House Chief of Staff, comes out and he says, one last warning. Don't do this, people. One la- I'm giving you one last warning. That's not just a warning about the Repu- what the Republicans will do in power. That's a warning about what the liberal establishment will do if the people vote for their opponents. Now, it is Music Monday. So the rest of the show continues on. We've got a, a great song, I am told. This was uh, chosen by Associate producer Jacob, he's a rap mogul. Apparently it's a conservative rap song. I know, I, did, I didn't want to, I know. But hey, he, he says it's really, really great. So we'll check it out on Music Monday. I'll be chatting with you over at the member block. If you're not already a member, click the link in the description and join us. <laughs> 